Welcome to In the Oil Patch, presented by Shale Magazine and sponsored by Steer. Broadcasting today from Agreco Studios. Agreco, powering the Permian. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. And welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bellotto. Today, we have a great show lined up for you. We will be joined by Steve Levy, who is a talk show host on IA News Radio 103.9. But first, it's time to bring on our editor of Shell Magazine, David Blackman. David, welcome to the show. Hey, it's a beautiful day in Texas. It sure is. You know, we have a lot to talk about, David. There's a lot going on, of course, in energy, a lot of different moving parts, a lot of global situations that I want to get into. But, you know, later on in the show, we are actually going to be joined by Steve Levy, who is a radio show host himself out in the New York area. And so the most interesting uh, information uh, that he's going to tell us is, is, is probably how problematic it is here uh, in the United States when we have um, problems with infrastructure pertaining to oil and gas and how it really comes back to the just the general population dealing with either higher taxes, access to energy, your utilities are higher. It's so strange to see that in the United States, we actually are having to, or we're importing from other countries that are not so friendly to us like Russia. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah. The situation in New York is nuts. I, I really look forward to listening to that interview. Exactly. So, but let's take it back to a global picture, um, your area of expertise as well. Uh, you know, we have a growing trade mar- a trade war going on between the U.S. and China. It's dominating the news. And so the Houston Chronicle had a story that was talking about the fact that oil industry has already been a casualty of this conflict, and even before the recent tariffs. Um, so what do you think the outcome will be pertaining to the tariffs and on oil and gas? Yeah, that, that, that actually was a very interesting story. And it's all true. You know, uh, we do have the tariff situation that is uh, increasing costs to the industry because of the, the tariffs on uh, steel imports and aluminum imports. Uh, the uh, U.S. oil industry, the oil industry in general is very, very dependent on steel products. And so to the extent companies are having to import from China, um, those tariffs are increasing their costs. Now, of course, as time goes on, fewer and fewer companies are going to be using Chinese steel as long as the tariffs remain in place. So uh, it's becoming less of a problem over time. But but the, the Chronicle piece was actually focused on on U.S. crude exports and LNG exports uh, to China, in particular LNG more than crude even. Um, you know, China has really restricted the amount uh, of petroleum products they're importing into their country from the United States since last August, I think, uh, actually July of last year. They cut it to zero. Uh, in that month and sporadically have been importing loads here and there ever since. But in the eight months since last August, uh, 
in five of those months, they've imported zero from the United States. Well, that's a pretty sizable market that, uh, that our industry here in the United States had been able to access. And as a part of the trade war, the Chinese government has basically cut that off. So it, it has been a significant impact to the U.S. industry. And, and so is it, you know, when you don't get access to something, you find other ways of surviving or, or doing business. How much do you think, uh, as an outlook, is this going to really have an impact on China long term? Yeah, it's, it's a problem for China. It's, and, and here's the thing, and, and this is why President Trump hasn't done what pretty much every other president in the past would have done and cut and run and, uh, because of bad news media, is China needs a deal more than we do much more than we do. You know, the, the U.S. market for China is about six, $700 billion a year. The China market for the United States is less than $100 billion a year. So this is a far greater detriment to the Chinese economy than it is for our domestic economy here in the United States. And where the industry is concerned, yeah, they we've these companies that are exporters are, are losing access to that Chinese market, at least temporarily on a temporary basis. But, but these companies are very creative in their marketing practices. They're, they're strong at going and finding uh, other customers for, for the oil and gas. And, and, the, and that fact is borne out by, by the increasing export numbers from the United States. It's just going to other countries now rather than China. So, it is an impact, but it's not an overwhelming one, and it's not going to kill the industry. And but will it have a long negative impact on China the longer they continue sure. and allow? You know that that's what I'm saying is I I think they really need to think about what's long term. When you let the United States go out and do business elsewhere because they have no choice. Oh, and it's it's really impacting economic growth in China. Uh, you know, the United States economy is booming. That's the other thing is. You know, the Trump administration doesn't really have much of an incentive to give in on anything because our economy is booming. We had 3.2% economic growth in the first quarter. Growth remained strong. Unemployment's below 4%, whereas in China, their economic growth has slowed down dramatically since this trade war started. So the, the, there's just the Chinese just don't really have a lot of leverage in this negotiation. And I continue to believe that ultimately there's going to be an agreement here that's much more favorable to the United States. Well, I'd like to be a, a fly on the wall and, and just ask China, <laughs> where are you going? Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, let's let's uh, do a laser focus on midstream because that's a, an equally troubling market when we talk about China, the steel and aluminum tariffs. How much are they going to hamper uh, the U.S. industry? with this continuing tariffs on, on these two uh, products? Well, it's the same principle there. Yes, you know, some companies got caught short because they were planning to use Chinese steel in their pipeline projects. Here in Texas, we're having this massive build out in new pipeline capacity to bring all this Permian oil and natural gas and natural gas liquids down to the Gulf Coast. Uh, and so, yes, some of these companies uh, got caught short uh, they got caught in a situation where they, I mean, I don't mean to make that sound bad, in a bad way. You know, they just, right. they were going to use Chinese steel. All of a sudden, the, the, the cost of that went up 10% with the tariffs. 
And so they've had to either bear that cost or look for another source for their steel. But at the same time, the domestic U.S. steel industry is really cranking up much stronger now than, than it was just a few years ago. And so there's a lot more domestic steel to use. And, and a lot of other countries around the world produce steel that, that there's no tariffs on right now. So it's the same thing. We have very creative people within these companies who, who will be able to find you know, better deals on steel elsewhere and quit using Chinese steel. Right. And I think the other thing is, you know, we attended an event yesterday in which a, a midstream company, a, a very uh, large one that's coming online pretty strongly saying it is what it is and we're going to make do with what we have to. And I think that's kind of the overall belief of Americans is, you know, nothing's going to stop us. We'll just we hit a brick wall, turn around, back up and go around another way. It, it is what it is. We have to still exist in business. And so therefore, um, if we have to, if we have to find an alternative way, we will, um, and we'll grin and bear it. So at the end, what this means is, um, you know, everything eventually, um, the deals will, uh, finally, um, get back to normal, so to speak, and, yeah. and we'll get on down the road. One of my favorite sayings about the oil and gas industry is it's an industry run by problem solvers. Oh, yes. This is a problem, and these problem solvers will solve it. There you go. Very good. Well, you know, um, we're going to take a quick break, but when we return, I definitely want to get on one of the biggest news uh, pieces we've had in a very long time is this very, very interesting story between Anadarko, Chevron, Oxy, new developments are happening, <laughs> and uh, I want to get your take on that, but we are going to take a quick break. You are listening to And the All Patch Radio Show. We'll be right back. In the Oil Patch Radio Show is proud to bring you this week's Energy Minute produced by shalemag.com. Here's Texas Railroad Commissioner Ryan Sitton with your current industry update. This is Texas Railroad Commissioner Ryan Sitton with your Energy Minute. Tension in the Middle East continues to escalate as four oil tankers were attacked Monday and a pipeline was targeted by a drone in Saudi Arabia on Tuesday. Saudi Energy Minister Khalid Al-Fali said the attack will not disrupt Saudi oil production, but the attacks were claimed by Houthi militias in Yemen that are backed by Iran, further heightening tensions in the region. WTI was up only 30 cents to end the day at $61.34 a barrel as the U.S.-China tariff increases potentially weigh on crude oil demand. NYMEX natural gas prices also closed up 3 cents to end the day at $2.65 per MMBTU. This is Ryan Sitton, and that's your Energy Minute. Listen to In the Oil Patch Radio and keep up with the oil and gas industry online at shalemag.com. Agreco has been powering the Permian Basin for over 10 years, supporting Permian producers with temporary power to get their product to market. When utility power is not available, Agreco is your reliable alternative. Agreco supports power systems as small as a single 200 kilowatt to as large as a 50 megawatt power plant. So when your utility power is delayed, call on Agreco to engineer a diesel, natural gas, or battery solution to fit your needs. We have immediate availability right here in the Permian Basin. Call 1-800-AGRECO or online, agreco.com. 
your next meeting or event at Victoria College's Emerging Technology Complex, home to the state-of-the-art conference and education center, conveniently located between Houston and Corpus Christi. The center hosts meetings, educational workshops, and banquets for up to 300 people with the latest in technology amenities and ample parking. Let their professional meeting planners make your next event a success. For more information, go to conferenceinvictoria.com. Once again, that's conferenceinvictoria.com. we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bellotto, and we are now being joined by David Blackman, the editor of Shell Magazine. David, before the break, we covered all things happening pertaining to China and the tariffs. Very interesting situation that we're monitoring and, and keeping everybody up to date on. Let's switch gears a little bit and talk a little bit about the the big story uh, that has been uh, coming out over the last couple of weeks, the Anadarko Chevron Oxy uh, saga. <laughs> so Oxy ended up winning uh, over Chevron when Chevron pulled out on May the 9th. Um, and so going forward, uh, first, Chevron is going to receive $1 billion as a separation fee for their troubles, uh, of course, from Anadarko. Um, but do they make that a down payment on another takeover target? So there's that question I have for you. And then also, where do we go with Oxy and Anadarko now? What will we be seeing from them? Yeah, well, you're right. Chevron does get that billion dollars. Uh, their CEO announced uh, that part of what they're going to do with it is in, increase their dividend in the coming months. Um that they're paying to shareholders. So they're returning some of that. Oh, you know, they're happy. Oh, yeah, <laughs> sure. And of course, that's that's been the big pressure on oil and gas companies for the last year now is from investors and from shareholders to increase the rate of return on capital, you know, at the expense of drilling more wells. And that's part of the reason why the rig count, you know, has been in this slow decline uh, since the first of the year. But so so that's what Chevron announced they would do. But of course, the rumors are still out there. Um, that there are a lot of takeover targets in the Permian Basin. I mean, you can just look at, you know, uh, some of the companies. Pioneer? Pioneer is a, a good example. Uh, you know, they are now a pure Permian play company. They don't have any production anywhere else. They're a very compact company with a very attractive production base, asset base. Their operations are, you know, very, very much... Uh, you know, connected or uh, adjacent to some of Chevron's operations. And so there's a lot of potential synergies between those two companies. Uh, Diamondback. Does it really matter also, though, like their leadership? Because, I mean, Scott Sheffield is is, is back yeah. and he's just an experienced leader. Yeah. He's come in and made some, diamond, you know, not to say anything negative about previous, you know, executives, just he's a really top-notch very sure. experienced leader in this area. And to be clear, you know, Scott has made it very clear and repeatedly that that they weren't selling off all those non-permian assets in order to set the company up to be sold. They were just getting rid of what they considered to be non-core assets because the Permian Basin has just a better rate of return on investment. And so I'm not sitting here saying that, oh gosh, Scott Sheffield wants to sell Pioneer, so nobody take it that way. But those rumors do float around in the media uh, and on CNBC and 
Fox business. And so you see that out there. And there's no doubt, I think Chevron wants to grow its asset base there in the Permian and other big companies do too. So yeah, we could see some more consolidation as we go through time. Excellent. What about uh, Oxy? They won the competition with Chevron. They did. Um, but they still have investors and shares, shareholders to convince. There's still some uh, issues there. Tell me a little bit about that. That's true. And, and so the irony is Oxy did win uh, the competition with Chevron. And and some of the investment advisors have now are now knocking Oxy for overpaying for Anadarko and praising Chevron for not uh, trying to match Oxy's offer. So there is some sentiment on Wall Street. Not It's not universal, so please don't get me wrong there either. But there is some sentiment that maybe Oxy overpaid a little bit for Anadarko. Some of their shareholders are also upset about that and concerned about that. So uh, yeah, Oxy does have a job, like any acquiring company, has a job convincing its shareholders and its investors that they, they made the right deal. And uh, I know Vicki Holub, the CEO, believes that uh, in all of her heart. As you could see going through that, you know, she was very firm and committed to it. So she believes she made the right deal. But yeah, there is a job there uh, to convince everybody who has a stake in their company. Well, David, that's interesting. I guess, uh, you know, over time, uh, I'm sure she'll be able to uh, also um, give reassurance to the investors and shareholders that they did the right thing. Well, David, you know, you were taught, we, we, we briefly covered Pioneer. Are there, what other companies could be targeted for takeovers in your opinion? Well, there, you know, there's quite a few and, and with, with companies like Chevron, like ExxonMobil, BP and Shell, ConocoPhillips is another giant company that I would no doubt uh, like to increase it, its position there in the Permian. So there are other companies that are pure Permian plays like Parsley Energy, who we had on the cover of Shell Magazine about a year ago. Uh, again, another company with a very focused and compact and high quality asset base. Uh, Diamondback Energy is another company whose name comes up. Diamondback is all over the whole basin. I mean, they have assets everywhere and a lot, a lot of acreage. So, you know, be a big, big bite to chew off. But, uh, you know, they're another company that gets mentioned. Concho resources gets mentioned quite a bit they they also are they're not a pure permian play but close to it um and so what what these acquiring companies will look for is companies that first of all have contiguous acreage to their own operations because when you're able to do that when you're able to uh, tack on acreage that's right next door you're able to get economies of scale and, and do water sharing across leases and and use the same operations people and, and things like that that allow you to become more efficient cost-wise. And then they're going to be looking for companies that have, you know, the lowest possible debt loads. You know, they, they're not, it becomes harder to acquire a company that has a really high debt load. So some of these companies will be less attractive because of that. And then they're, you know, going to want to look at companies that are getting really good results from their own drilling operations. Um, uh, you know, because you don't want to go out and buy companies whose drilling operations have not been successful. So there are, you know, several other companies out there that get mentioned quite a bit. I don't have any doubt at all that we're going to see mer more mergers and acquisitions over the coming year or two. 
and uh, it's mainly going to be focused on companies in the Permian Basin. So it's going to be a very interesting time in the industry. Excellent. Well, we're going to get ready for break, but when we return, David, I want to get on the recent attacks uh, on Saudi Arabia, on the infrastructure. We've had some activity out there. So uh, let's get on that when we return from break. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. We'll be right back. Remember this name, Oilfield Experts, to locate any part, any time for your automotive or oilfield equipment needs. Oilfield Experts' specialty is those hard-to-find oilfield parts for your fleet maintenance needs, and we've been providing those parts and accessories to keep your tools turning since 1965. From the auto repair shop to the pump jack, call us for the right part right now. Write down this number, Oilfield Experts, 210-471-1923. Again, that's 210 210- Four seven one one nine two three, and visit us on the web at theoilfieldexperts.com. we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. We're talking with David Blackman, the editor of Shell Magazine. David, uh, we've covered a lot of territory. I want to switch gears and talk about uh, some troubling things that are happening outside the United States. Um, Saudi Arabia had some attacks on some of their oil tankers. Uh, There's also been some pipeline uh, attacks as well. What is going on out there and how, how concerned should we be pertaining to what's happening over there? Well, I think we should be very concerned. It's um, so. First of all, yes, Saudi Arabia did did say that the two of their tankers, and then there were two other tankers. One was owned by Norway, and the other owned by the United Arab Emirates. Four tankers total were attacked uh, by some kind of subsea explosive devices uh, over the past weekend, and. Uh, you know, the Trump administration uh, issued a, a statement from the U.S. military from the Pentagon saying that we suspected that uh, Iran was behind those attacks. And then the next Monday, uh, four different uh, pipeline infa- installations there in Saudi Arabia were attacked by aerial drones. And that uh, action, uh, the Yemeni rebels, rebels in Yemen, the country and the neighboring country there, on the Arabian Peninsula, uh, took credit for those attacks. Well, the rebels in Yemen have been backed by Iran, and so the the Trump administration also obviously suspects that that attack had been ordered by the Iranians. Well, that, of course, escalates everything in the Middle East, and so the Trump administration had already ordered uh, an aircraft carrier group, the uh, U.S. Abraham Lincoln and its carrier group, into the Persian Gulf the week before, uh, and now four uh, B-52 bombers have also been sent to the Middle East, and, and so we're increasing our military presence there. Tensions are escalating, and that, by the way, also causes the oil price to go up because everybody's afraid of war breaking out in the Middle East, so it's uh, it's a really bad situation. Interesting. Well, uh Let's bring it. These are fairly new uh, drone attacks. Um, uh, And that strait, the Hormuz Strait, is a very important area for oil tankers. So this is is this this is kind of troubling to to see. Um, But 
do you see that this is going to continue in the way of could this be happening in other places? Um, is this something that well, sure. is, is a new bar they've reached and looking at new technology to create terrorism? Um, and of course, uh, focusing on oil and gas. Where do you think we go from here? I mean, how concerned is how concerned are the oil companies of this is something fairly new where drones are now attacking pipelines and being successful in uh, oil tankers are being uh, attacked, uh, you know, at sea. Well, yeah, I mean, you would be very concerned about that potentiality, if, if particularly if Iran is behind it. Uh, you know, the Iranians, I mean, we've known for many years, sponsored terrorist acts all over the world. Uh, and to the extent uh, somebody wanted to and, and had the ability to coordinate and plan such a thing on U.S. soil, you know, that could potentially happen. I mean, it never has happened. I don't think anybody's lose a sleep at night thinking it's going to happen here in the United States. But but the reality is that that drone strikes, you know, have been a thing now for the past 15 years or so uh, in the Middle East. The United States has used drone strikes uh, quite often to attack terrorist installations there uh, in Afghanistan and Iraq and even in Syria. Um, and so to the extent Iran has this ability and has the ability to sponsor this sort of thing, then, you know, it, it represents an escalation in the global war on terror and, uh, you know, puts everybody at higher risk, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, I don't think we anyone should lose any sleep that it's going to be happening here in the United States anytime soon. Well, I'm wondering about um, if so the potential outside of Saudi Arabia and other parts of the world. Oh, absolutely. I think there is. Yeah. I mean, Okay, I don't want to be overly belligerent, but let's be honest. This is a country that, again, has sponsored terrorist acts in, in all parts of the world, um, even here in the United States. And so, yes, uh, they obviously have the goal of, of committing these kinds of things. Uh, whether or not they actually were behind these specific attacks on Saudi assets still hasn't been demonstrated, I don't think, clearly. But uh, if you assume they are, then, yeah, that creates a risk globally because Iran uh, has its tentacles everywhere. Interesting, interesting conversation pertaining to what's going on out there in uh, Saudi Arabia. That is all the time we have for this week. I look forward to talking to you next week when we'll bring you back on to talk more about energy and politics. Great. I'll look forward to it. And with that, we do have to take a quick break. When we return, we will be joined by Steve Levy, who is a talk show host on IA News Radio 103.9. You don't want to miss this segment. And we'll be right back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. The vision of the Women's Energy Network is to be the premier organization that educates, attracts, retains, and develops professional women working across the value chain. Also known as WEN, our mission is to develop programs that provide networking opportunities and foster career and leadership development of women who work in the energy industry. Members receive exclusive access to mentoring, job boards, group discussions, member-only networking events, expert speaking engagements, and more. Join today by visiting womensenergynetwork.org slash Houston or call 1-855-390-0650. The Women's Energy Network, empowering women in energy.
and we're back. Our guest today is Steve Levy, who is a talk show host on IA News Radio 103.9 and the president and uh, CEO founder of Common Sense Strategy. Steve, welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Thank you very much, Kim. It's a pleasure to be on with you. Well, it's a pleasure to have you because, uh, you know, we are on our course, our uh, radio show. And uh, I want to briefly cover your radio show host, too. Uh, you're also a uh, assemblyman, a state assemblyman from the state of New York. And you also have a lot of, um, you're very, very talented and, and an attorney. So can you introduce yourself to us a little bit, please? Sure. Um, I'm a former uh, elected official. I was a, a eight, 15-year member of the Suffolk County Legislature. Suffolk County is uh, the largest suburban county in the state of New York. Uh, it's on Long Island, uh, 1.5 million residents. Um, I thereafter went to serve in the state assembly up in Albany in New York, and then rounded it off by coming back to Long Island and becoming the county executive for that rad- rather big uh uh, county and thereafter, when I left office in 2012, uh, I wore a great number of hats. But one of them being the executive director of a think tank called the Center for Cost Effective Government, somewhat of an oxymoron, but we do a lot of good work with it. And one of the things we looked at was, um, you know, this uh, this nonsense going on with people trying to. Um, eliminate uh, the use of natural gas, which we believe is a bridge fuel. Uh, but I should just add that I've also been doing a great deal of commentary through my uh, strategy group, Common Sense Strategies, uh, for Fox News, uh, Newsmax. I, I write, I, I've been published in the Washington Examiner and the Washington Times. So I throw around a lot of opinion from here and there. And you picked up on my recent article, and I'm uh, glad you did. I'm happy to chat chat about it. Well, let's begin with, um, I want to just, uh, the op-ed that you wrote, it's titled, War on Natural uh, Gas Will Stunt the Economy and Crush the Working Class. And that's that's a big uh, statement and a big title, but it's a very, very truthful one. So, so let's get started with, tell me a little bit about um, why you wrote this article. What is the main driving force behind something titled, in your area, you have war on natural gas? Sure. Well, there, there are a number of uh, environmental radicals who are uh, getting far more attention and power that you think they'd be able to get, but they're controlling the agenda in New York to such an extent that they are now blocking needed pipelines uh, to uh, bring in natural gas to uh, give us the power we need for our businesses and residents on Long Island and also in Westchester. Now, prior to that, uh, these environmental radicals had um, uh, were successful in bending uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo uh, to ban uh, fracking uh, in New York State, which I think was an an abysmal decision. While you had Pennsylvania and Ohio and these other neighboring states having these economic boons thanks to the the, the capturing of natural gas, our upstate uh, region, which is uh, in very bad shape, economically. We've had more people leave New York State than any other state over the last 10 years. This is one of the reasons. We could have had an economic revitalization there. He blocked it. Now, that's one thing. 
if you want to say we're going to block future development, it's quite another, even worse when you start saying we're blocking pipelines to feed the people, the millions of people in the metropolitan area. And that's what prompted my article to say this insanity has to stop. Well, and, and you know, Steve, it's it's really, uh, you know, that is one problem. There's other problems, too, when you look at, you know, them blocking the pipeline uh, or blocking pipeline development. Some of it is um, you guys um, are also there's parts that are actually importing uh, natural gas from other countries like Russia. And you wouldn't think that's happening in the United States. And yet it is. And it has a lot to do with the blocking of these pipelines and and furthermore the state officials are also calling for uh to reduce by 50 percent fossil fuels admission and by the year 2030 which isn't too far away what in your opinion does this have the impact on the residents that live uh, and work in that community i mean the taxes and, and and the cost of doing business i mean how does this really affect that area by these troubling trends that keep uh, occurring in these elected officials that keep pushing anti-fossil fuel policies? Well, we're already the highest tax region in the nation here in New York. Um, as far as property taxes go, uh, Westchester, which is just to the north of New York City, is the number one highest property taxes in the nation. Nassau County, uh, which is on Long Island, uh, is like number two. We in Suffolk are rounding out the top 10, 10 or 11. So it's already brutally expensive to live here. Now, add to that high energy costs. Uh, we have some of the highest energy costs anywhere in the nation. But what's ironic is that instead of looking to cut costs here, which can be done with proper policy, we're, we're seeking uh, to mirror the insane decisions in California, uh, who has gone, which has gone way overboard, that they now pay 60% uh, above the national average for their energy costs. And here we are trying to mirror them. We've got a lot of these uh, uh, radical leftists, the radical environmentalists, who will look to Germany as their model. And we even have a number of editorialists who will lord what they're doing in these other areas. What they fail to mention is Germany's uh, electric costs have gone through the roof. They're three times what they are in many places in the States. So we're actually going in the wrong direction when natural gas can be such an important component in not only bringing down costs, but also lessening the need for dirtier type of fuels and also lessening our dependence on the bad actors around the world. You know, you mentioned the, 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 the Russia I mean, not only is it insane that we be, you know, having to be dependent on, you know, the old Middle East uh, oil barons as we had to be at one point, but you want to get yourself away from Russia. You see Germany and Europe making these long-term pacts with our political enemies over in Russia when they could be getting amply supplied by the U.S., which would help us economically and make them much less dependent on these really bad guys uh, in Russia and elsewhere. So it's a no-brainer that we should be fracking more and developing more natural gas to, 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 make us, uh, to help us save money, to build our economy, to provide a, a, a cleaner sky, 
and to um, uh, lessen our dependence on the bad guys around the world. Exactly. Now, Steve, we do have to take a quick break. When we return, I'd like to talk to you a little bit more about some of the long-term projects that um, you're supporting and some of the uh, other areas of interest that are happening out there in your area. But we do have to take a quick break. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Kim Bilotto, host of In the Oil Patch Radio Show, starting every second Saturday of the month at 2 p.m. We will have a live call-in show in which John Tatera, the president of Texas Alliance of Energy Producers, will be joining me in studio to answer all your questions. So be sure to take advantage of getting your most important oil and gas questions answered live and join us on the show. The call-in live line is 210-526-3656. Again, the call-in live number is 210-526-3656. Be sure to call in at 2 p.m. If you want more information on how to call in live or the phone number again, be sure to email us at radio at shalemag.com or just go to our Facebook page in the Oil Patch Radio Show. You'll find the information there as well. The Texas Alliance of Energy Producers has a rich and commanding history of fighting for the independent oil and gas industry. The Texas Alliance became a statewide organization in 2000 with the merger of two of the oldest oil and gas associations in the nation, the North Texas Oil and Gas Association and the West Central Texas Oil and Gas Association. Today, with more than 2,600 members, the Texas Alliance is the largest statewide association in the country serving independent energy producers and associated industries. Through our efforts in Washington, D.C., and Austin, the Texas Alliance is focused on a better business climate for you. The Texas Alliance has a staff consisting of highly experienced senior staff and supporting consultants serving our membership. Offices are located in Austin and Wichita Falls. Become a member today by visiting texasalliance.org or email us texasalliance at texasalliance.org. We're back. Our guest today is Steve Levy, who is the president and uh, CEO, founder of Common Sense Strategy. Steve, before the break, we were really discussing what is going on uh, in your area, Long Island, some of the anti-friendly oil and gas policies that the elected officials in your area uh, have been pushing and and the cost that has been pushed to the American taxpayer in your area. Uh, Let's switch gears just a little bit and tell me uh, in a big picture, uh, do you see down the road where does this end because we're starting to see a lot of movement here in texas as well we've seen some really bad bills passed in colorado too and it's a troubling trend that's occurring give me a more global picture of what you see happening and why this is important to pay attention right now when it comes to energy well it's very rough when you have both academia and the media that really combine forces with the left to just paint one side of, of this picture uh, the irony that I see here is that, you know, the far left is such as um, uh, the newly uh, minted Congresswoman Octavia, uh, Octavia Cortez in New York and, and some of her allies on the fringe, they profess to be advocates for the poor and the working class. And yet 
they promote uh, a Green New Deal that's so radical that the people who are going to be hurt by the implementation of this plan are the very same poor and working class individuals that they claim that they wish to help. It's one of the reasons that you're seeing the backlash with the uh, yellow vest protests over in, in Europe. You know, you have the elites saying, we know what's best for you. We're going to save the planet by imposing these taxes on you. Well, if you are the elites who are making a million dollars a year, it, it, you roll it right off your shoulder. If you're a middle class or working class guy or gal who, you know, just saw your gas tax go up by 10 percent, that's crippling to you. That, that's food on your table. That, that's a job you, uh, you can't hire. That's a, a layoff. That's a truck you can't uh, uh, buy. Uh, that's, that's dinners you can't go out to or vacations you can't have. So the irony here is that these proposals that the left is pushing are very, very regressive. And it doesn't have to be that way. Look, uh, I'm a believer that we have to look long term. And I think technology is going to help us deal with the particulate that's accumulating in our atmosphere. And I do believe that there is an impact by, by what man does. But to say that the United States should shut down its economy uh, for, uh, to, to enact these proposals that will have zero effect uh, on the overall climate is actually ludicrous. So there's better ways to do it. If, if they were really so concerned about, you know, the world ending in 12 years, they can go to, you know, nuclear if they wanted, but they don't say that, you know what I'm saying? Exactly. And, you know, Steve, the other part is I want to f- actually get my hands on the science and the data that that AOC is actually touting. Uh, we're got, we've got 12 years, and I think uh, Irish uh, Menbeto O'Rourke also is stating 12 years, because I just can't seem to find where that specific data is that shows we have 12 years. What I do know is that the United States is definitely the leader in using natural gas, which is a far cleaner burning fuel and it does definitely help clean the planet up and we are the leaders to show these other countries how to become more energy conscious and energy efficient and i just cannot see you know the lunacy you're talking about and it just it it has a platform every day in some of these media circles and it, it, i just scratch my head like why are people listening to this yeah you know Kenneth, another thing to think of is again the leftists who profess to be for the poor, not only here, but around the world, forget that over the last 20 years, there's been a remarkable reduction in the poverty level around the world. I mean, hundred, like 700 million people lifted from poverty. And that's in large part because of investment of capital and the global economy that's been growing. Now, with that comes more production. And with that comes more particulate. And that's a problem. But you have to look at this with the whole picture in mind. If you shut down that growth, more people die of starvation and disease. That poverty level that you started to erase does not go down any longer. It reverses. So you may think, oh, I'm saving this patch of the planet by cutting off all, the, you know, all of this natural gas. But how many people are you now starving to death? because of your crazy policies. So there has to be some balance here and you have to look at the whole picture. We have to bring our greatest minds together 
to harness energy for the new phase of clean energy down the road. That can happen. That will happen. But it's not happening tomorrow. It can start tomorrow. But it's going to take a few years to make this happen, maybe a decade. In the meantime, you have to have these bridge fuels. And natural gas, to me, is a better alternative than the dirtier uh, uh, fuels that are out there. So have to think long term. We can't have a radical shutdown. We have to have a plan, and we have to get there in a way that doesn't create more poverty, more dependence on the bad guys out there, out there like the sheiks and, and the Russians, and uh, allows our economy to grow while still cleaning our environment. Exactly. Steve, thank you so much for joining us today. We look forward to having you back on the show here in the near future. Thank you. It's been a pleasure, Kim. Well, that's all the time that we have for this show, but please be sure to like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash in the oil patch. Or follow us on Twitter at ShellMag. That's S-H-A-L-E. M-A-G. And if you have any questions for me, or if you have questions on oil and gas, I encourage you to email me at radio at shellmag.com. That's going to wrap up another great show. See you next week with more exciting news and insightful interviews. Until then, adios. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.